0: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Legend of the Glorio Heroes, episode 31. This is your go-to recap and reactions podcast for the legendary 1988 science fiction OVA. We are... we are here. We have finally arrived in... Season 4, baby. Yeah. Yes, we are now in the final season of legend of the galactic heroes it's uh it's been a hell of a journey we're not done quite yet but uh mm-hmm. you know it's it's uh it's kind of mind-blowing really you know i mean you know if you listen to our prior podcast and the one before that i feel like we've been kind of on this kind of track for a while but it's it's crazy man it, it truly is uh but uh Still here, still here to uh, still here. To guide you on, on this journey amongst the sea of stars. I am your host, G, and with me, as always, is my co-host, Eero. I am also still here. Uh, yes. You know, I feel like getting into, because of
1: the way we record season end podcasts, like, the start of a new season is always, like, a longer break than usual, I'm going to yeah. say. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yes, because and we, so, ch- like,
0: yes, yes. You know, to renew uh, it. It definitely feels like a kind of, it kind of feels like we went on like spring break or something, you mm-hmm. know. Just, yeah, you know, to give a peek behind the curtain, we tend to try and get our season wrap up podcasts. Uh, we try to finish those a little bit earlier just because they are such uh, intensive productions for a myriad of reasons that we don't need to get into here. That uh, we we figure it's better sooner than later, you know. Just know, even if we you know release it at the regular schedule time. So for us, it's been about maybe three weeks, uh, yeah. maybe uh, since since we kind of last watched the show. But uh, mm-hmm. getting back into the rhythm, and and thankfully uh, we have um, an interesting trio of episodes <laughs> to kick off season four. Yeah, yeah, and help help us remember. Uh, what yeah. happened in season three? Yeah, you know, it's been a few uh, year, years. What are those to- three episodes? <laughs> uh,
1: 87, a Premonition of a Storm. Episode 88, On the Outer Fringe. Episode 89, Roses at the End of Summer.
0: Yes, yeah, so we kind of kick off with episode 87, which, uh, if I'm being frank, is. Uh, It has some interesting things going on, but I feel like it's maybe a little mundane by this show's standards. It almost feels like a recap episode in some regards.
1: I'm sure, like, in context of watching this at the time or whatever, it's a little better to have that sort of in oh depth totally to recap.
0: totally yeah i i didn't check myself but i i assume it's been a couple years for the people who are watching this at the time yeah and you know it, it can help to be reminded of like you know the big comings and goings of of such a saga i, I believe it's uh, 90, yeah, so 97
1: compared to season three ending in 95
0: well, yeah exactly so two years you know that that is quite a while i mean you know, if we were to use the modern example, it's been about a year since we watched DNT, so you know, same <laughs> same thing. Jesus Christ. <laughs> but uh so yeah, episode eighty seven opens with uh, the narrator just being like, Yeah, Reinhardt owns all of space, basically. Yep. Like No, (laughs) no possible immediate military conflict could possibly occur now. Unless. Uh, (laughs) Unless, yes. But uh, the narrator also adds ominously, history will not allow society to stagnate. (laughs) Uh, It kind of just ends it at that because we jump into kind of right hard back to work during peacetime. Yep. You know, uh, Reinhardt kind of opens up with uh, talking to some guys, being like, "I don't know if I want to do this palace thing." Like he he we, mentions, we need to that, save money. Uh, yeah, that actually, like, this is maybe the first time, like, maybe the second time in this entire show that, that the the Empire side has ever mentioned the reality of like the economics of warfare. Reinhardt mentions that the treasury is kind of stretched at the moment because of all the wars they've been fighting, like. It's it's kind of a throwaway line but I feel like this and like I think there was one line in season 3 for like from some minister whose name I already forget who was <laughs> like also like getting some attention because he was complaining about the wars and like That's right yeah yeah, and so it's like they're starting to met, like, for better or worse, Legend of Galactic Heroes always operated in this weird like paradigm where the FPA was constantly beset by like the economic and like social realities of waging war, <laughs> whereas like the
1: Empire had reserves, baby. The
0: Empire just seemingly had endless reserves of manpower and cash flow. Like they just, it didn't matter. Like it, like there apparently were, there
1: were a few bits of like Reinhard. Making a good Casas Belli meant lots of people were signing up. Yes, like I, guess
0: I, I guess that's true. I just feel like the Empire just seemingly apparently never had to worry about potential brain drain or 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 the coffers going empty They're they just always so had like, enough money yeah. from somewhere i guess so like i don't know halfway through season three <laughs> what? yeah yeah it's not here until season three season four That right is finally like okay all that money we fleeced from those nobles like in season one and two is finally starting mm-hmm. to run dry um, so he's basically saying, like, we
1: should postpone building this big ass palace because do I really need such an ostentatious show of authority? Right. Then I'm fine with living like, in this hotel room, like yes, whatever, man. Yes.
0: But and, Gluck is like, well, if you don't live in a palace, then all your subordinates will feel bad about living in a palace. Which to, to which I respond, good. Maybe right. nobles shouldn't live in palaces. But I mean, yes, <laughs> but like the power structures of the the empire yes don't really allow yes just for it's better not, or worse culture right. right like for better or worse the culture of the empire means that like reinhardt intrinsically sets the high end of the bar like mm-hmm. you know you, you you see this time and time again with like you know like them telling Reinhardt, oh steinmetz never married because he said he wouldn't get married until you did or yeah like this part here where it's like well reinhardt if you don't live in a palace, no other noble would dare like try to live in one in fear of like you know you. You. Yeah, yeah, and so I I think that some of those like concerns are petty, but within the context of their culture, it does make sense. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, you know, so they goes into yeah, go a,
1: The narrator goes into a thing about how even though he's the Kaiser and he's great at politics and military, Reinhardt is. Still just a dude in his early 20s. Yes. Doesn't really know about ordinary life.
0: Yeah, like, they kind of mention, like, yes, he knows how to reform an economy. He knows how to reform a legal system. But, like, at its core, Reinhard is not particularly well-versed in non-military affairs. It's just not his specialty. Like, you can tell, like, where Reinhardt's passions are, you know? Like, Reinhard probably, you know, like right strikes me as the kind of guy who reads a book on like legal affairs because he knows that's what a ruler should do. Mm -hmm. But like, he is definitely the dude who in his spare time is probably like studying battles, you know, that's where his real passion is. Yeah. But, uh, they kind of move on from that, and we find out that Mittermeier has kind of proposed a new plan to Reinhardt, and Mittermeier, Mittermeier's plan, essentially, he wants to build two loans on each side of the Fazan corridor. Right. The idea being that now that Fazan is the new center of the galaxy, it makes sense to build a fortress on both, uh, both
1: sides. Both,
0: yes, on in both chokeholds, basically. Gotta protect um, the capital, man. Yeah, and and, and during this conversation, Reinhardt being Reinhard. Like flashbacks to like the time when uh Roenthal asked him to save Mittermeier, and mm-hmm. you kind of have a little flashback to like back. Remember that time in season three or whatever? Remember in season three when they had this flashback? Well, they're having that yep. flashback again, indeed. And uh, but this time we are getting it from Mittermeier's perspective where he has been imprisoned for executing a, a noble who was doing bad shit basically, yeah. And uh, Mittermeier's kind of you know. Sitting there in prison, man. Door yes. opens up, and uh, this motherfucker straight torture, out of North- yes, <laughs> this motherfucker straight out of fist of the North Star enters the room. This dude who claims to be a member of the Empire is like, ho ho ho, you know. Blessed is he whose hobby and job Are the same thing And my job is torture I am to
1: interrogate And by interrogate I mean pulling your teeth out And whipping ya
0: I'm gonna whip you so hard And I'm really good at it It's like this dude is like For like several every, minutes <laughs> For several minutes every time Every time we return to the Empire We are shown the most Ridiculous people like so, uh. this Person could never exist in the FPA. Like if this person ex- lived on Heineson, like causality itself would like shift and morph to like push him out of the off the planet because he is too ridiculous. The Empire in general is just too ridiculous and too dramatic. It doesn't make any sense. <laughs> but yes, this man just gloats to Mittermeier about how good at torture he is and and how much he enjoys torture. He mm-hmm. he, he makes it very clear to Mittermeyer, I want he he's like "Mittermeier i want to be clear with you this is not just a job for me this is a hobby and i'm very good at my hobbies and uh it's uh. about to whip mittermeier but mittermeier pulls some fucking counter hit bullshit and mm-hmm. gets the dude caught up in his own electric whip by the way it was an electric whip. <laughs> yes stun whip. Um, yes and he gets electrocuted and After that, uh, the door opens up again. Uh, Uh Landsberg. uh, Count Landsberg from season one and his cronies show up. And they're all like, they're all like, you know, oh, oh, Mittermeier, yes. And Mittermeier fucking, turns out that like, turns out that Reinhardt is not, uh, Turns out that Reinhardt is not not uniquely an idiot in the Empire for constantly demanding 1v1s with Yang Wenli. (laughs) It turns out that this is endemic to the Empire in general because... Mittermeier it roasts. is very
1: important to them.
0: I guess. Yes, yes. Mittermeier roasts Landsberg and then go to him into a one v one. He's basically like, "Oh yeah, big tough man. Take off my handcuffs." Yeah, like take off my handcuffs and one v one me if you're so strong. If you're so like sure of yourself, and of course Landsberg fucking falls for it and Mittermeier. Beats the shit out of him until his goons like you know hold him down. Even the goons and, are like laughing at Landsberg in his ass. Yes, beat. Yes, uh, yes, well, yes. Even the goons are like fucking. This guy thought he could one v one mittermeier in a fit. Like again, it's like so we were all making fun of Reinhardt for being like young I'm going to take off my shirt and meet you at the at the Seven Eleven. Turns out that's how every man on in, in the Empire operates. So yes. It turns out Yang was just exploiting a very well-known weakness of uh, Empire Machismo. <laughs> Indeed. But uh
1: Flansburg's uh, like, you fools, shoot him!" they all pull out their guns. Uh, but the uh, power trio of Reinhardt, eyes and Roenthal also show up with their
0: guns. Yes, and they blast them, or, like... Blast Blast the lasers out of their hands. It's very funny to me because, like, you know, just the realities of animation, but, like, it's like the three beams come out, like, simultaneously... And like each one of them knocks one gun out of like one of their hands, and then yes. of course the camera pans over to fucking Reinhard. And, yes, Reinhard Rothel and uh, Kerky eyes just like standing there, fucking Charlie's Angel style. <laughs> and it's just like it's so fucking ridiculous. Like, is it like like is it like before they ran in there? Like, was Reinhard like okay when we run in there? We sh- we shoot on three, you know, you, Kirk eyes. You get the guy on the right, Reinhard. You get the guy on the left. Like it's just. Uh, everything they do in the empire has to be so fucking dramatic but uh but yeah so they re- they they rescue uh Meyer, mm-hmm. and, uh, and uh, it says and, uh, oh, the bond between the four of
1: uh four of them had truly been forged that night because uh, i guess apparently now reinhardt is good friends <laughs> and Reinhard, according to this scene. yes
0: and they also mentioned that because of these actions like they basically get sent to the front lines of the conflict with the FPA, which eventually is what we see in the events of the first movie and the opening yes. episodes of the show itself. Fourth Battle Tiamat. Yes, where Reinhard uh, dist- distinguishes himself on the field, and in many ways uh, serves to benefit him more. But uh, but yeah, so you know, just that ridiculous fucking empire shit that is also kind of serves as like a weird flashback but also explains like yes how how they all became friends i guess but uh, speaking of roithol we we uh, return back to Heinesin yep. or a Noye land I suppose, and where Roythal is, uh, you know, is doing his administrative sh- shit. Uh,
1: Neuerland uh-huh. is just such a funny name.
0: <laughs> I I can never call it that name in earnest. It's too fucking ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have a great bit here where Roythal is like talking shit about how slow democracy is, and he's gonna impress them with swift administrative changes to show the show the strength of Uh uh, of a strong autocratic rule. We'll ditch ditch democracy
1: if we show them how fast we can reform things. How cool fascism
0: is if we just (laughs) make the trains run on time. Mm -hmm. But uh, but yes, so he uh, arrests all the shitty FPA politicians, you know, If y'all remember, they used to have that treaty that was like, we guarantee that the shitty FPA politicians won't be prosecuted. But that original treaty was hinged on, you know, the assumption that, uh, you know, they would not fucking, uh, try to sell out and execute Yang or, uh. The myriad of other issues that ra- they ran into back in season three. So now that that treaty is null and void, Roythol is allowed mm-hmm. to prosecute these politicians again. See, but to Sadly, win, the,
1: but to win the hearts and minds, he also allows anti-imperial protests, and
0: yes, he ensures uh, freedom, of press, freedom of press, which I feel like is one of those things that feels like a very like this feels like a very convenient cop out to be like, oh, but see, Roythol is good because he allows freedom of press, but like. I feel like realistically, if you allowed freedom of press, like, a- again, not to say it's unrealistic that, like, the FPA, pol- you know, civilian citizenship would bend so easily to autocracy, right. but I feel like in a, in a realistic s- or a more realistic setting, if you allowed freedom of press, like, yes, the FPA has gone through some hard times. Yes, the FPA's leadership kind of failed them at every turn, but, like, with the recent death of Yang Wenli, mm-hmm. like, I feel like you're bullshitting me if you tell me that the FPA would just take that shit lying down. And I wonder how much of that is just also the convenience of the of the Empire getting to, pub- like, widely publicize that Yang's death was at the hands of, you know a terrorist organization instead of the empire right like imagine the world in which surprisingly (laughs) convenient for them that that wasn't their fault Oh, it's very convenient yes like imagine the world in which the empire is the one who executes yang wen li like you can bet your ass they would not be allowing freedom of freedom of speech and freedom of press on Mm -hmm. on heinousin in a world where they have to announce to the citizenship of highness that they pulled the trigger on Wen li because yeah. like that is a version like that is a timeline in which i don't think the former fpa takes that line down so like in many ways it's the empire has kind of been blessed with like a series good of good circumstances that have only benefited them in the end and i think that's we're kind of seeing that in action You're like ruythel can afford to be lenient because their fortunes have been so good mm-hmm. that they can afford that uh, but anyways, you know, with all that, however, comes some drawbacks, because Job Trunick uh, arrives. Job Trunit, the parasitic plant, arrives <laughs> yes. on Heinesen and, uh, you know, he uh, immediately begins working for uh, Roythal, you know, doing his slimy know, snake shit of like, oh, you know, I'm so honored to work with you, Roenthal. I hope my meager experience can serve you. And is like, obviously not fucking convinced by any of this shit. Mm -hmm. He wants Trunet tailed immediately. He wants to be informed of the first chance Trunet fucks up, so he has an excuse to just, you know, shoot his ass. Uh, Bergengrun, of all people, kind of mentions, like, are you sure this is a good idea? Like, what happens if our interference with him is actually what, like, sets like, Funnily enough, Bergengrunt may be prophetic here, but about the wrong person. is like maybe like overzealously like uh, prosecuting him will actually be what pushes him into like fighting against us, which Mm -hmm. I feel like is the same concern that like the Empire leadership has with Royothal of like if we push Royothal too hard, he might actually just go ahead and commit treason. Yeah. (laughs) But – Roythal says, like, "Mm, no, this is necessary. Like, even if... Again, continuing the trend of nobody understanding why Reinhardt gave Job Truth this job. Roythal's like, even if I don't understand why the Kaiser did this, like, I still need to, like, be wary. Because, Mm -hmm. you know, Roythal tries to rationalize that. Even if Kaiser Reinhardt thinks that this was a smart choice, like, there's no telling how Oberstein is going to capitalize on this. Um... And then Roithel has a very funny line of, like, we can't just kill him. I can't just kill him because I hate him. That's not how autocracy works. And I'm like, uh. It works exactly like that. I was like, dog, I think that's exactly how autocracy works. Like, we all just got to forget that time Reinhardt executed, like, uh. All Rock the men or like,
1: 10, over 10.
0: Yes, yes. Or all of the, like, FPA, like, you know, uh, traitors who sold out Labello. Like. Right. Without a trial, like my guy, that is how this autocracy has been operating since day one. <laughs> Indeed, but uh, yes. So, so. they kind of re- they kind of after that we re- returned back to uh to uh, Fizan, where uh, Mittermeier uh, meets up with his wife Ava for the first time in sitting
1: in the fucking airport terminal in full high admiral uniform.
0: Yes, like surrounded by everybody else who was dressed in like all. Yes, everybody else is just kind of surrounded in like regular like, you know, Heidison slash Fazan clothing. Mm-hmm. And uh yes yeah, just it's it's such a good look. Like you you just gotta imagine, like you're at the you're you're also there at the airport waiting for your wife, mm-hmm. and you're like fucking sitting next to this dude dressed in his ridiculous full fucking regalia uh-huh. but uh yeah they 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 meet up again proving that Mittermeier and ava are like the only one happy couple still remaining yes the only other happy couple in this universe that aren't the castle news um right and uh we are told that uh uh Mittermeier, uh reinhard wants to meet up with Mittermeier and ava uh, however we also uh-huh. informed that uh midtermire has been having fevers again again no, yep I'm, I'm telling you, man, they keep bringing it like they do. I feel it's a like thing. It's, it's yeah, straight I, feel, up I, feel, I, feel, I know. I, I know that's the thing. I feel so vindicated here, but also like I feel like this is like really like this is kind of like they're doing a really good job kind of slowly building the dread here because like you remember back of, like season two and three, mm-hmm. right? Like right again, sick was like a one off thing. It was like, a oh, no, the Kaiser is sick from overwork. But I feel like they've been kind of slowly building up how frequently he's been getting sick. Yeah. And, like, I really think that, like, we're going to... He's going to get diagnosed soon, and we're going to find out, like, some shit's going on. But anyways, Reinhard luckily managed to pull it together in time and uh, has a double <laughs> date <laughs> with uh, him and Hilda and uh, Miramire and Ava. And, you know, they're just kind of talking, and apparently most... Well, now that now that we have the benefit of hindsight of these whole three episodes as a, as a whole, we now know that the most important part of this conversation was uh Mittermeier informing how you uh, your wife Mittermeier? Right, how he proposed to his wife and uh, how Mittermeier has always been the most fucking just ridiculous but earnest goober in the Empire. Um, yes. And uh, and yes, and just somehow got lucky enough. To just happen to propose in his ridiculous way to the one woman in the entire galaxy <laughs> that uh, would put up with that. Yes. But, so they uh, go to their modest little two story house on Fazan, their new home. Yes. Yes. And um, they're walking home and just talking about life, and the thunderstorm starts, uh-huh. <laughs> starts happening, and the episode Storm, just literally boy. ends with. <laughs> yes, was just most so
1: powerful in space.
0: Yes. Yes. It, it, it's just Reinhard staring ominously out the window with the thunderstorm. Just I, it's like it's like not just the em- people of the Empire operate on this fucking level of melodrama. It is like <laughs> wherever the people <laughs> of the Empire are, the universe itself like alters its sense of causality to also operate on these same melodramatic standards and it's Uh it's very good but it is also ridiculous but uh but yeah that's kind of all there really is to say about that episode i feel like you know it was it was a fine episode and but i would also say that like i would i I would say the episode kind of just basically sets up like what are the what is the new status quo of season four Mm -hmm. and kind of recaps you on like some like basically recaps you on some of the essential relationships that I think are going to matter moving forward in uh, season four, right? Like Reinhard's yeah. relationship with Mittermeier and Royenthal, Reinhard's relationship with Hilda, uh, Mittermeier's relationship with Royenthal. I think these are all things that are going to uh, be very important come into play in season four. Yes, you know, especially because again this episode also has a lots of shots of Roy just kind of staring off into the distance. And even Uh if you can't hear what he's thinking in his head, you know, he's thinking in his head, maybe I should commit treason. (laughs) (laughs) God, all these troops. Yes. Yes. They, they, the narrator makes sure to remind us all that Roy is explicitly the second most powerful man in the galaxy now. But, uh, Let's move instead to uh, the least powerful faction in the galaxy. <laughs> if uh, in uh, episode eighty-eight, indeed, uh, we return back yeah. to um, to uh, to Is it alone.
1: Yeah, we open up with just the the, the Frederica's speech from uh, the end of season three about how uh, thank you all for fostering this bud of democracy in this in these difficult times. Here's this big photograph of Young Winley on the wall. Yes. Let's sing the Anthem and
0: etc, etc. Yeah, and there's kind of a good bit here where the narrator states that like, for the story of the FPA, like, their story is the story of the only choices rather than the best choices, <laughs> which I feel like is a very good way of like, yes. like, if you were to, if you were to like write a eulogy for the FPA... <laughs> It would be, they made the only choices they had available to them, rather than the right. best
1: ones. It's like, some people criticized the, the choices of the government by for right, having like, Yang yes, yes, Lee's Frederick closest Cut.
0: confidants be yes. in positions of power, but... And it's like, but in many ways, it's like, it's not, you're right, Like, are the, were those the best choices? Perhaps not, but were those the only choices they could have realistically taken in the absolute dire straits they found themselves in? Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, so then we go to a uh, Julian doing uh, sitting on the old young bench in young. the park of <laughs> Yep, just the uh, old young bench. Julian looking a lot more like young these days, like even down to the mannerisms, like uh-huh. crossing his arms, hunched over, like mm-hmm. you know, just worrying about life. <laughs> yep, and uh-huh. uh, some some child, some yeah. like real young kid cadet approaches Julian. Yep and uh
1: it was about as old as julian was when he uh was first adopted by young win lee
0: yeah yeah and just basically you know says some shit like wow julian it's such an honor to meet you you're such an inspiration to us all and julian kind of flashbacks to when he first met yang and it's very funny of course because like it's wide-eyed young julian like happily greeting yang and yang just like huh <laughs> <laughs> like, who are you again? <laughs>
1: Which is very like, on yeah, brand.
0: a uh, um, very on brand for the late great Young Winley. Uh, but yes, yeah, and it's just uh, this conversation. Julian Kyers kind of has a conversation with himself, himself again, and just about like the very heavy burden he has decided to shoulder for himself. Mm-hmm. You know, at the ripe age of eighteen, and uh, yes, and, uh, you know, and it's like it's it's really interesting. You know, like looking like go seeing that flashback julian like we never saw julian that young even in season one but like he didn't look he didn't look that much older than he did in that flashback in season one Mm -hmm. and like seeing that like it's been very subtle but julian julian has grown up like he is he is older and harder now than he was in season one like it's it, it was a subtle thing and i think i think we didn't really start to notice until season three but like he's he's starting to show his years, you know? Like he's starting to... You know, with, with the realities of the burdens he has taken on for himself, you know? And I don't know, man. I just hope that poor kid does not work himself into an early grave. But, yeah. uh, you know, we shall see. Uh, he thinks about
1: how uh, feelings are passed on <laughs>
0: between yes. people. He's going full on Yangwen Lee at this point. Oh, yes. He's gone full full Youngwen Lee, you know? Like, he's not... You know, like, it doesn't even need a ghost of Young anymore. Like, he's just having these conversations on his own. Yes. Which uh, is very, very funny to me, I guess. And, uh, uh, but uh,
1: Yeah. Meanwhile, you know, Dusty and Poplin are also discussing the current situation. Yes, you know, how yes.
0: How can we hold together without Yang Wenli? Yeah. You know, reminds us that they have 600,000 left. You know, like, that's... Yep. Not even like 1% of even like Roenthal's army, no less the entire like Galactic Empire, Mm -hmm. you know, and you know, uh, (laughs) Dusty says just talking about like Dusty says if
1: this were a third rate TV anime, dead protagonists could come back anytime, but we don't live in such a convenient uh, place. No, no, this is real life. No, this is a a first rate anime pardon me this is a good, yes this is a good anime
0: excuse you <laughs> uh, have a good bit of poplin reading some more of dusty's highly cliche prose and shitting on it just because apparently we can add a literary editor to poplin's list of achievements Uh um, but uh yeah you know they, they've they've kind of just accepted like in some aspects you know they uh they are they kind of occupy the outer fringe of civilization itself you know yeah. but like maybe maybe at the time you know maybe at the time young uh, oh by the way yeah so Julian kind of walked through the hallways and runs into Karen now and uh yeah Karen kind of talks about how like you know at the time like young didn't seem that important and she's like back when I knew him honestly he kind of seemed like kind of a dumbass I don't I did not understand the hype and she's like and it's kind of interesting how like when people die suddenly they become so much more important because you rec- you now realize like what the world is like in their absence, mm-hmm. and that in many ways, like yeah, Yang Lee, maybe it's not a title he would have wished. It's a title Yang Wenli would have never wished upon himself. But you know, Yang Lee in a ways, he support he single handedly supported half of space. You know, he yeah. supported half that believed in a liberal Republican doc- democracy. Um. And before they get into that, um, some fucking some jack off, some, yeah, some drunk soldier guy shows up to starts berating Julian about being a fucking piece of shit about like how it's fucking bullshit that you know Julian is like the leader of the FPA, and Julian's kind of just standing there and taking it. You know, like Karen's things, actually you know. Karen, Karen gets so angry at this that she, she starts to berate Julian uh, for like, yeah, ins- for, like, for taking all this insult until Karen until, her and
1: really pulls the yes. massage out of her voice.
0: Yes, yes. And, and, and Julian, Julian accepts that too. Until this fucking jack off says like, right is like, well, and what about that young guy, huh? Fuck him. He, like, what, what he, he do? died a Brave Death fighting Kaiser Reinhardt. Instead, he died like a fucking coward. And this is what Julian <laughs> yes. is like. like motherfucker. Right face, of <laughs> what the fuck did you just say to me? And like, you can tell Julian is about to kill this motherfucker. And once again, Poplin swooses right in <laughs> to save the day. <laughs> poplin just like swoops in and is like motherfucker please i believe you're speaking to our fucking you know commander in chief here so if you piss him off he'll turn you into meatballs yes yes like poplin is like i've seen this kid in action like he'll axe murder a dude with the best of them you know so uh you maybe watch your mouth but um mm-hmm. but yeah so kind of after that um we kind of switched to a kind of Shenkop talking with castle New. Yep. and what is maybe single hand, like this conversation. I like to, I, I'd like to think of myself as like, you know, look, I am not, a, I'm not a, I am not a true historian by training, but I have studied history a lot throughout my, my academic journey. And I'd like to consider myself like, you know, at least decently versed in history, but This show still manages to find ways to open up my eyes in some very good ways. And one of them is uh, this conversation that Kazanlu has with Shenkop about uh, Mm -hmm. kind of the future of the FPA, the future of what will their legacies be and how like, you know, in many ways we are always going to be the weaker organization because democracy is a system that exists to theoretically hold those in power accountable. Like, right. democracy is a system in which the powerful can be brought low by by the people. And like yeah. as a result, it will always be an intrinsically more fragile organization. And then Shen Kopp kind of waxes poetic about like how will how will they remember us and how will they remember Yang Wen Lee and Julian Minchy? Will mm-hmm. will <laughs> will Julian be remembered as Yang Wen Lee's protege, or will Yang Wen Lee be remembered as Julian's teacher. And mm-hmm. this is a really good conversation. And I have to give credit to you, Iro, because like while I uh, well, I obviously learned this concept in history, I none of my professors ever used this term, but um, the term that you informed me about is this concept of historical contingency. Mm-hmm. And historical contingency it basically came about as as a counter-argument to the kind of prior-held assumption about history, which was that history was, uh, to use another term, uh, the term that I was familiar with, the idea that history was teleological. Uh, Teleological history, or as it is sometimes compared to a wig history, this is spelled W-H-I-G, not wig as in the wig you wear, but wig history is this idea that, All human civilizations eventually build to a certain endpoint, and as a result, the events of history are inevitable. They are immutable, and they could not have occurred in any other way. The idea then is that in teleological history is that by analyzing the trends of the past, we can predict the trends of the future, because in that belief of history, X always leads to Y always leads to Z. So when X happens again, we must prepare for Y so that we can better address Z. Now teleological history is not completely without fault or completely without merit. However, Indeed. it does assume a very like predetermined like concept of history that modern historian like modern his, historical academia has really pushed back against uh, like yes, trends do exist but modern historical analysis is more about historical contingency right. which is this idea like the idea
1: that, that stuff inevitably turned out this way is an idea you can only come up with in hindsight
0: yes and that it does not take into account the feelings and the beliefs of the people who experienced that that history in, in in the moment you know the like a, a classic example of course would be say um, you know, to, to use like an example that people might be familiar with, an example might be, say, the you know, the uh the the fame of Vincent van Gogh, right? The the famous painter. Like in his time, ta- you know, everybody knows a story, right? Oh, Vincent Van Gogh, he was like cantankerous and a little bit crazy and he died penniless, you know? Like, and and in the time, you know, nobody cared about him. He had this weird style that nobody appreciated. But now in Our time we recognize his genius and what he did for the art world and blah 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 that is a great example of historical contingency is this idea that like what the people felt and believed at the time does not always line up to the results that we like view in hindsight view in hindsight yes and so like you know like theological history is oh you know of course we were going to beat Hitler. Of course we were going to defeat the Nazis. Like, of course we were, you know, like because, that was because the,
1: of like, because events prior to this lined up in this way, this way, this way, this way. Like we can say that it logically led to that when yes, at the time
0: that stuff was all way up in the air. Exactly. You know, it's kind of the same thing with like the Civil War. Like, in hindsight, you look at the quote unquote, the stats, right? Like the num- <laughs> the differences in manpower, the differences in manufacturing, the differences in like morale and leadership. And like, of course, in hindsight, it's easy to say, well, of course, the union was going to win the war. But in the time, like, of course, of course, people were not ignorant, even in the time, even in the middle of the Civil War, people were aware of these realities. Lincoln knew how much of an advantage he held. The Confederate leadership knew how much of a disadvantage they held in terms of manufacturing and manpower. But in the time, at the moment, like, nobody can really tell, you know, like early in the war, when the Union was losing battle after battle, in the time, like, Lincoln was at risk of losing the presidency for, for re-election. Uh people were totally ready to be like wow like we better throw in the towel like the south might have this. It's it's very easy to forget that like the, the the current experience is mm-hmm. is as much a part of history as 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 our, our as as our retroactive analysis of it itself and and this is like what makes history so fascinating but also what makes history right. the kind of like uh, uh, overwhelming rabbit hole that Terrifying. it is because <laughs> because like history is not just like history is not just the study of an event history is also the study of the people in that in that event and then history is also the study of what historians thought of that event a hundred years ago. Like that is an aspect of history itself. Like there's literally, there's literally history of the civil war devoted to analyzing what historians a hundred years ago thought about the civil war Mm -hmm. of what they thought of what they thought of the war. And it's, 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 it's some real like mind blowing recursive shit that is still like undeniably important to, 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 to study because, that helps better inform us about the human condition, and so again, <laughs> you could argue that Shen cop's just like fucking shooting off a slick line here because that's what Shen Kopp do. But right. you could also say that like this is Shen Kopp kind of getting at the core of like, sure, in the moment, in the moment of Legends of Galactic Heroes, of
1: course, Yang Lee seems like this all encompassing, incredibly important figure.
0: Yes, but but like <clears throat> when they when 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 like Julian Minchie the sixth. Because sadly <laughs> the FPA turns into an elective monarchy in the future. Sorry guys, bad future. But when Julian Minchie the Sixth watches a documentary on the origins of the Israel Lone Republic, like <laughs> what right. is that what is that what is that documentary gonna say? Is it gonna say, oh, like Julian Minchie, the protege of the legendary Yang Wen Lee, Julian Minchie, he tried his best. Or is it going to be Julian? Or is it going to be legendary hero of democracy, Julian Minchie? Oh, he was taught by this guy named Yang Wen Li, but right. he doesn't like, really matter. I think matter. the like, example I brought up that's in context of the show is that
1: there are always talking about Heinesen, Ali Heinesen, the great hero who started the FPA. When they explicitly state he died halfway on the journey, and like a New Year and Kim Hoa is the one who actually
0: started exactly, everything. exactly. You know, and, and that's the thing it's like it's so. <clears throat> You'll excuse me. You'll have to excuse me, friends. This topic is one of my favorite topics in history. Not, not what I'm about to get into, but but this concept of and I'm so glad I have a name for it now because I have talked about this. I have literally talked about this concept in this podcast before. I oh, so even now to have a terry a term- paragraph explanation. Yes, yes. So like, so another great example of historical contingency is, to uh, specifically in military affairs is uh, Alexander the Great. Uh, Alexander the Great, blah blah blah, famous, you know, hero of the Greeks, conquered. Had, you know most you know blah 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 half the known world king of conquerors uh, had a very cool showing in Fate Zero that guy yep. and we know we, we in history we now retroactively look upon him as like oh as one the of great. the premier like yes the great the one of the legends of military history but and, and when we think and maybe maybe some people have heard of his name but most people really don't know of him beyond uh being the father of Alexander the Great and I'm talking about Philip of Macedon. Um these days we kind of just know him as like oh that was Alexander's dad. And yeah, he like was also kind of a military like, you know, a, 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 like a very good general in his own right, but like, you know, he wasn't legendary. But in the time, Philip of Macedon was considered like the real fucking deal. Like, before him, Macedon was kind of, like, one of the backwaters of the Mediterranean. Like, you know, like, the jokes that the Greeks would make would always have Macedon as, like, the backwater butt of the joke, you know? Like, if a Greek was telling a joke of, like, an Athenian, a Spartan, and a Macedonian walking to a bar, the Macedonian was meant to be the butt of the joke. But Philip of Macedon, like... Revolutionized the structure of his army, you know. And in fact, many of Alexander's like military innovations were in fact like based in the foundation of what Philip of Macedon himself had created. And like he turned Macedon into a major power. And at the time, he like conceded the throne to Alexander. And like contemporary writers in Greece at the time were very much like writing in the tone of like, you know. We'll see if, you know, we'll see if the whelp of the whelp of Philip has what it takes to, like, inherit his, his legacy, you know? Right. Like, we'll see if this fucking, like, hotshot kid actually is as great as he thinks.
1: Which is, like- which is to say, like, at the time, we didn't know, they didn't know Alexander would become Alexander the Great as we know him today. But today we look back and we're like, of course it's Alexander the Great because look at all the stuff that allowed him to become Alexander the Great. Obviously, exactly. he would have been knocked the
0: great. And I think th- that's the thing, and I think it's going to be, and that's why I think it's actually a really fascinating conversation. And what, and it's one that I doubt the show will answer. You know, I don't think the show will ever answer it. But the question of like who will go down in history, who, who will become the titular uh, galactic hero? Uh, you know, in 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 this show, will it be Yang Lee or will it be Julian Minchie? And I think that's that's a really interesting thing to bring up. Uh, but uh-huh. we can't spend all day on that, so we should move on. Right. Julian so,
1: put forth his plan, his his yes. secret plan to make things better, which is right. to somehow make the Empire
0: set up a constitution. Yes, yeah, so Julian's hope is that by spreading the ideals of democracy, that uh, hopefully someday they can basically, like their political clout will eventually allow them to kind of influence the empire into instituting a constitution. Because right. if they can transform the empire from a pure, purely autocratic state into right. a constitutional one, like even if it's a constitutional monarchy, it's a start. Yeah, it still gives and, more power to the yes. and, 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 and people and, rather than... And especially because at its core the power constitution holds i mean you only need to look at our modern political debate to see like how much weight a constitution holds yeah. you know even if like the perhaps cynical take is that it's a 300 year old document and how much influence should it really have in our daily lives but this idea is that a constitution can allow like steady gradual change to the you know mm-hmm. the fabric of a political system and that Julian is not too worried about Reinhardt. He does not believe they'll come after them because, you know, for better or worse, Reinhardt's fire has been extinguished. You know, without a Yongwen Lee to chase after, Right. he uh, he is uh, no longer really interested in, you know, what that speck of a speck of a speck of dust over in Izzerlone is doing. Um,
1: that, said, that said, they're still making sure to
0: prepare for potential military action. Of course, yes, because the de- the time will come. Like Julian is adamant though, he believes that the time will come when you know we're gonna have to fight. And maybe mm-hmm. who could say whether it's the Empire or something else entirely, but someday we'll have to fight and we'll yep. have to get ready. We'll get a, and a Dusty cool says that uh Dusty says, Don't worry, like no matter what happens, my foppery and whim will change history. <laughs> and I'm just like, Oh Dusty All right, Dusty. But uh, yeah,
1: we got a montage of everyone still working like on the stuff. And uh check, check in with with us with Lieutenant Sewell, the sole survivor of the attack
0: on Young ship. And in, in case you had in case you thought we had run out of like in case you thought we had run out of like sad scenes of people reacting to Young's death, uh season four still has a couple <laughs> loaded for us, like yes, with soul finally waking up and realizing that he failed to protect Yang. It's a very Sewell realizing, oh God, like I witnessed, like I survived both Bukok and Yangwen Lee. Like I, what am I even doing with my life? You know, and mm-hmm. it's Julian's got to be the one there to pick up his spirits. Um, yeah. and, we find out that Julian yeah. is a, started a new project and and, and perhaps one that may have greater I personally think that like this is a low-key scene that actually might have very great consequences depending yeah. on, on how it is carried out. And that is that Julian has decided to organize and analyze drafts of Yang's documents and um, basically trace Yang's like thought mental prophecy. thought processes and codify them. This idea being that like if we can figure out because I, it would be, too, it would. I think it would be. I, I think Julian recognizes this. It would be too. It would be too simple to just say, "Oh, Yang's a once in a lifetime genius. You know, nobody could ever match him." And like, even assuming that is true, that is no reason why we should not analyze his teachings, analyze his strategies, mm-hmm. and like train our next generation of tacticians to think like Yang Wenli. Right. It's easy to because say, like
1: Yang Wenli knew all these things, had the answers. But codifying, studying, and writing down like his specific thought processes, like the premises, and you know, process towards the conclusions that he
0: reached, like that information can be passed down. Exactly, and like I think it's it's more it's more than I mean I think it's more than just that, but it's also like passing down that mindset, right? Because I mean, you know, the, the the worst thing that can happen. The worst thing that can happen in military, like education, is this idea of studying studying the tactic, the t- the tactics of the greats, and then just as- holding that as gospel. Like, you need to study it what, why, even in the why and how those were important at the time, right? And, and so the thing you actually like, so the thing that like the thing that military education is trying to fix, but like for better or worse, like generals falling on the same old tricks they learned when they were young is maybe just one of those realities of like human, like the human race itself. Mm. But the the modern militaries are trying to push back against that by trying to teach officers that rather than study the strategies and tactics themselves, what you actually need to be uh, 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 learning are the mindsets. Because Hell, even a tactician like Yang, his strategies might not work forever. You know, like, there will come a day and a time when, like, even Yang's, like, fucking ridiculous donut formations and seesaw, like, half circle formations may fail because, like, tactics is a constantly evolving paradigm. But if we can, like, codify his thought process, how he arrived at those conclusions, and we can find ways to apply that to the current situation. Yeah, exactly. And so, and then, yeah, and so it's like, if, Sure, maybe we will. Maybe, maybe the FPA will never see another Yang Wenli. Maybe never ever. Maybe we won't get another one for another like hundred years or two hundred years. But if we can train our entire officer corps to try and think like Yang Wenli, then the pressure does not need to be as great because we are not putting all of our eggs into one alcoholic basket. <laughs> Indeed. And uh, so, yeah, you know, again, I who again, I don't think this show is going to have a big time skip. I really don't think this show is just, just going to be like, and then 100 years I passed know, or 50 so, years yeah. passed. But I still think that like stuff like this, stuff like this, I think, will have an effect in the future, uh, whether we get to see it or not. And, uh, you know, kind of with that, we all... Uh, <laughs> we, we we have a bit here where julian is kind of tracing Young's thoughts and he has a flashback to season the one fucking coup in season one and um kind of like julian basically just kind of thinking about like who yang was as a person and like how Young once celebrated with him when he realized that he figured out a way to like effortlessly stop the coup but then like immediately like became grim because well i'm also about to take like thousands of lives and like yeah that's who young Wenli lee is mm-hmm. or was you know that's that's kind of that's kind of the philosophy you always held and i think that uh if only young when lee were here is about to become the new if only <laughs> Kirky eyes were here indeed um but we yeah. now return to uh someone we haven't seen in a while which is a uh, frederica yep well she's looking uh at her
1: picture of young and
0: also also kind of reminiscing about young Wenli, but uh, kind of taking a different um a different and maybe more emotionally raw um uh, mm-hmm. tact here. She's uh thinking about how young Wenli, whether he liked it or not, is now become, as they say, he gets a new appellation now. He is now young winley the guardian angel of Republican democracy. Uh-huh. So add that He's one to of the list. Disease. Yes. Wen Li, the hero of Alpha Seal, the magician, Miracle Yang, the source of disease, uh, Yangwen Li, the skirt. guardian angel of democracy, and also Yangwen Li, the pension the thief. pension
1: thief might uh, be my favorite one.
0: Yes. Uh, mm-hmm. yeah. I, kind of echoing the very sad kind of conversation Frederica had. Frederica thinks, once again, that like the greatest tragedy is Yang Wenli didn't deserve to die a hero. Like, mm-hmm. like Yang Wenli, Yang Wenli should have been accused of being a pension thief. Yang Wenli should have been, like, the general who, like, retired, like, one one big, like... She knows that like Young Winley's real dream was to win one big battle, immediately retire, and then sit on his pension for the rest of his days. Oh yeah, and you know, I mean, we know that we know this was Young's plan as far back as fucking Ezerlone, like the first battle of alone in season one. Yeah, and but the tragedy is he never got that because you know, just that's what the end of, the circumstances of the time and mm-hmm. at the time and world he was born into dictated that he was his hand was forced into becoming a legend mm-hmm. and you know and that yes like frederica of all people knows how much yang anguished over his actions like frederica knows of all the people in the world yang truly despaired over like the, the very real human consequences of his actions you know like like young when was no you know let's be real young when Lee was no pacifist you know like Y- Yang Wen Li was Yang Wen was a, was like a late stage Amaro Rey. You know, he didn't like war, but he did what had to be done to save his people. But that doesn't mean he liked it. And, There's a
1: line here where Frederica thinks you might have killed millions of people, but at the very least, you made me happy.
0: Yes, and you know it's <laughs> it's a very funny line to laugh at in hindsight, but I think it really speaks to the volume of like this idea of like. People are defined by their relationships. And, like, yes, Yang Lee, the historical footnote, is just the master tactician who won a few battles, killed millions of people, and then was, you know, assassinated. But Yang Lee, the man, made a lot of people very happy. He inspired a lot of faith in a lot of people. And, again, to kind of echo Shen cup's conversation, like, is it going to, you know, like, is it going to be... You know, is it going to be is it going to be is, is it going to be Planet Minchi with Yang Lee Park or is it going to be Planet Young with Julian Minchi Park? You know uh-huh. what I'm saying? Like who like where will Yang Lee's place in history be? Like, will he be the legend to end all legends or will he be the man who, like, inspired a, a legendary movement to take place? And um but with all that out of the way, we find out that Konev, on yeah. the undutiness has returned. Yeah, we've brought stuff. We've brought we've brought some Elfusil whiskey for you guys. Also, some grave news that uh, so uh, Job Trunet is back on highness, right? Um, and we continue to have every everybody there. <laughs> yes, is like not this motherfucker.
1: And, and yes. ev- also, everyone yes. continues to be like,
0: why is he being appointed to this position? What's the meaning? What is the Kaiser's plan? Just everybody continuing, again, because of because of the way that Reinhardt's government works, everybody's just forced to assume, ah, the Kaiser's got a plan for it all. And, like, he, Kaiser, the Kaiser just has to keep rolling with this mistake he's made because there's no going back. Uh-huh. And, uh, and
1: uh, give the news that Job Trinic is uh, affiliated with the Earth
0: Cult people, which yes. we've known for a long, long time. Uh, yes, but they have finally come to the realization of and Julian is uh, Julian is, is is kind of inspired by this news because the, the narrator helpfully points out to us that uh, Julian reserved for himself two goals. The first being to uh, honor young sacrifice and plant the seeds of democracy. And his second goal was to avenge yes. his death. But uh, before we can get into that, we find out that uh, a sudden incident has occurred. At Nguyen Kim uh, Park on September 1st, Yes, which we will not see in episode 89. <laughs> which we do not find out in What's episode it, 89, so thanks for that show. Spoilers, episode 89 does not get into what that incident is, but we should get into what episode 89 is Indeed. about. Indeed, uh, episode 89 opens with, uh,
1: you know... Uh, <clears throat> The narrator's saying that although Reinhard von Lohengram changed many things, like got rid of many customs of the uh, Golden Bum Dynasty, there's a tradition that he was unable to change, and that's that the Kaiser is going to be an assassination target.
0: Yes, yes. So we're told that uh, Reinhard has once again been getting sick frequently, but he's not made it publicly apparent. He is uh, He's making a public appearance at... Uh, some fucking place in Fazan. I don't so it's really like know. A, it doesn't really it's a matter. New
1: cemetery for the war casualties.
0: Sure, yes. Yes, that's what it was. And uh kind of high, you know, Reinhardt's like honor guard are kind of walking around him, making sure he's safe. And uh they notice the they noticed the assassin because he is the shadiest looking dude in this crowd. So one person, this person assassin, in the crowd who's not cheering and who looks like he's about to kill someone. Yes, like Assassins in this universe seem to veer between either um, tragically effective at their jobs or hilariously bad at their jobs. Mm-hmm. Um, this assassin falls into the latter category, um, not even with a gun. He just tries to straight up, uh, sta- tries to stab Reinhardt with what looks like a poison stake or something. Right, like a fucking um, wooden
1: spike with stuff on it.
0: Like. Yes, yes. It's kind of ridiculous. Like, my guy, you could not get yourself a gun. Just off a laser beam. Serran- or a laser ring oh, or a you bazooka. Or around you can pull a bazooka out of. Yes, but uh, yes, yeah, so Reinhardt's guards detain him and they're all like, ah, we caught this Earth Cult guy. And he's like, I'm not part of the Earth Cult. I'm from Westerland. Westerland. And Reinhardt's like, oh shit. Gasp. My like, yeah, that's right, dog. Do you remember Westerland? Uh, yes, yes. So for those who have not, uh, for those who have forgotten, Westerland is the planet. That Reinhardt let get nuked. Right, it is the planet that Prince Brownschwad nuked to the fit of fury. That Reinhard knew was happening yep. and had the means to stop, and chose not to because it would turn the public's opinion against right. the Lipstow League
1: politically. And uh, this man, etc., etc.
0: Yes. Yeah, this guy's, and this dude, and he's finally getting called out for it. This guy's like, millions died on that planet. My wife and child are dead. Like, they were non-combatants. Like we literally got hit with her nuclear and, weapons. And, <laughs> yes, yes, you condemn them all to death. And, and Reinhard is shook. Like, Reinhardt is, like, literally, like, shaking here. He is mm-hmm. actually, like, he has flapped. Yes. Uh, but who isn't flapped is Oberstein. Uh-huh.
1: Oberstein steps in front and is like, actually, it was all me. Not the Kaiser. It was all me.
0: It was a uh, yeah. good Oberstein idea. Oberstein once again. <laughs> yeah. Oberstein tries to do his fucking cold math of like, yeah, so, you know, like 3 million people died on Westerlin. And sure, they were civilians, but like, if we hadn't like, if we had stopped that bombing, the war would have gone on like three more months, and ten million people would have died. So really, I made a good choice, and I will, I would do it again. Look like, like and
1: calculus of war, or whatever. What
0: do they call it? Yes, it is. Yeah, yes, it is the yes, it is the it is, it is the cold math of war. And like, here's the thing: even if Oberstein is correct, like that does not absolve that decision. Like this is like, this is the same. Again, this is the same. I'm not going to get to it here because it is a very contentious topic, but it's the same like debate that occurs over like America's choice to drop nuclear bombs on Japan. You know, this idea of like, was it worth bombing these two uh, explicitly non-combatant civilian targets in exchange for potentially saving more lives in what would have been a bloodier, longer like land invasion. And this is a very difficult you know, <laughs> right. a conversation to have that with no easy answers. But regardless, I think that what can be agreed to is that if nothing else, it is a fact that should, you know, that the perpetrators should be held accountable of. Yeah. And Young, I mean, not Young, sorry, Reinhardt is now finally, like, being held accountable for this. And, and it does make me realize now, like, Reinhardt probably doesn't. I mean, Reinhardt probably allows. I mean, if Reinhardt allows freedom of speech, Reinhardt probably allows freedom of speech. But now I'm beginning to wonder were the events of Westerland ever publicized? Because. I mean. Now I'm beginning to. F- hmm. Like.
1: Because. It always seemed. Uh, like, I feel like it seemed to the public that
0: Reinhardt just was not able to get there in time. Right, that was probably the original party line, and is that probably still what's being communicated? Because I know that people like Reinhardt, but if it were public knowledge that Reinhardt could have stopped the bombing and didn't, Mm -hmm. like – I feel like that act- that should actually be a far more damning thing to his reputation than it seemingly is at the show so far. Right. Like I always operated on the assumption that this was private knowledge, that nobody knew about it, and that's why right. he was able to kind of get away with it. But if it is if it does become public knowledge, I'm surprised that did not have great. consequences. at least like a
1: rumor, because Kirk has heard about it. Um Top Brass probably knew all the while.
0: Yes, yes. I mean, of course, Kirti guys yeah, knew about it. Well, but he's like, yes, he's top brass, he's military leadership. That makes sense. But like, if the public still doesn't know about it, I feel like that in many ways like speaks volumes to how how much Reinhardt actually means it when he says, "Oh, like freedom of speech, like a let the people know the truth." Mm-hmm. But regardless, you know. Uh, Dude pulls like, out a couple young lines about,
1: like, how yeah, he's like, th- those in power always justify justify their actions by saying we sacrifice the few to save the many, but they themselves are never among the
0: few who are sacrificed. Exactly. Yes, yes. The dude dude is pulling out some literal young lines here of, like, yeah, like, sure, sure, you can say you sacrificed a small minority, you know, to save the majority, but what about that small minority? And was it worth it? Like... Like, you know, like you killed non combatants. Like, you know, soldier, and this, is, uh, this is one of those signed things where You signed up for this. Yes. Like, this is what you get into the very weird math of like, what is the life of a soldier versus what is the life of a non combatant? But, like, those 10 million that could have potentially died in that three month campaign were those soldiers. Like, were those soldiers who signed up for and knew what they were getting into? The non combatants did not. Like, they did not agree to get newt. And, like, how does that affect the equation? And so, you know, dude is dragged away. Reinhardt kind of panically, like, asks Kessler, like, what will happen to that guy? And Kessler states that, according to pre-existing Golden Bomb Law, like, he will be executed. Mm-hmm. He must be, because, like, that is not a law we have changed. And Reinhardt is, like, forced to contend with the reality of, like, like he cannot like spare this man because of what that does yeah, what that does to the reputation of of his leadership but he also does not not want to enforce golden bomb law and you know it's kind of they're kind of left in an in in an uneasy place so right is just just detain him i'll decide what to do later get some um, flashbacks kirky eyes telling him off for westerland uh Yes, we are, we are reminded that, yes, Kirky Eyes, all those years ago, like, one of the few times Kirky Eyes was, like, very real with Reinhardt, where, like, he literally says, like, why would you debase yourself like that? Like, from a person like Kirky Eyes, that's, like, mm-hmm. that's, like the, that's, like, the thing you never want to hear from a guy oh, like no. Kirky Eyes, who's usually so Kirkiaz polite. Kirky is
1: disappointed in me.
0: Yes, yes. Kirky Eyes is the guy who would be, like, I'm not angry with you, Reinhardt. Everybody knows that's worse. And, like, that would... Everybody knows that's worse. Yes. Um, and uh, Reinhard is ah, so dramatic. He begins to pour himself yes. a wine glass <laughs> so uh, with wine until it overflows and it's all over his hands and it's red like the blood of Kirky eyes. <laughs> um, Hilda comes in and she tries to, like, comfort Reinhardt. Tri- Hilda tries to do a little bit of Oberstein here and tries to appeal to Reinhard's like, sense of like the net good he has mm-hmm. done for the galaxy to assuage his self-doubt um reinhardt says uh hilda please stay with me for the night yep and um <laughs> kind of fades to black and uh, yeah we cut morning well you know yeah we we'll cut to next morning uh we cut to Reinhard's bedroom and uh we find out that uh Hilda and Reinhardt finally did the it deed. It
1: happened. Uh, it
0: took 80 something that- episodes. Yes, proving that maybe Reinhardt does, in fact, know how Kirk to eyes. fuck. I uh, got laid. Yes, Reinhardt clutching that, that locket, saying, hey, Kirky Eyes, I did it. I finally touched a boob. <laughs> finally. But, uh, are you proud of me, Kirkie <laughs> Kirk, Eyes? <laughs> I did
1: everything you said, Kirky Eyes. Uh,
0: yes, yes. But, uh,. It's very funny. Like the events after this are very funny and almost a little surreal. Like it's, it's almost like I really from like this it, but... from this moment onwards for the rest of this episode, it's it's like it's like this episode shifted realities into a different <laughs> genre of TV show. Uh, Hilda has to do the walk of shame yeah. because uh, both Emil and a guard are stationed outside of Reinhardt's bedroom, and you know they they exchange a look and they're just like.
1: Uh-huh. I really enjoy Hilda's like utter panic at the entire situation because I think that's a, yes I think like, that's the actual appropriate reaction and not like what I kind of thought would be the reaction just in
0: i, I i'm
1: yeah. yeah in this in like a story no, 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 you know you expect because like we kind of saw this as inevitable I kind of i thought the story would also treat it as Like, oh, and now they're a couple and it's fine.
0: As opposed to, actually,
1: no, this is a really messed up situation and she is
0: losing it. Yes. Yes, this is an extremely complicated situation because, like, Hilda is, like, caught in, like, 50 directions here. Like, I don't think Hilda regrets what she did. I think she generally wants to, you know, to do it with (laughs) with Reinhardt. I think she generally likes Reinhardt. But also, Reinhardt. Is the most powerful man in the entire galaxy. Reinhardt is responsible for the li- responsible for the lives of forty billion. There's currently like, no room in their relationship
1: for that. I feel like
0: like like she is Reinhardt's subordinate. She is also like a public politician. Like she is a member of Reinhardt's like government. She's a military. Like, her dad. Her dad is a member of Reinhardt's government. Like this throws in so many equations, so many weird things into it. Like like. Like, this is totally a thing that, like, you see relationships that, like, start off really spontaneously. It's not that, like, the two parties don't want it to happen, but, like, after a, something like that happens, like, ideally, both parties take a couple days to, like, get it together and, like, kind of, like, go- rationalize it before, you know, like, having that real, like, heart to heart talk afterwards. And so that's kind of what Hilda does. She kind of makes a run back for the Mariendorf Manor. Um, her like attendant is like, Hilda, where were you last I night? <laughs> She's like, I'm going to go home. I, where is, I, I'm going to have breakfast. And the elder Mar- Mariendorf, Papa Mariendorf, is just, just, just like, so you weren't here last night. <laughs> and you just tell he, he, like, <laughs> Papa Mariendorf has like, such a fucking, like, not a shit-eating grin on his face, but he's like, such a knowing look, like I also got like, the vibe
1: he was doing, trying very hard this entire episode to like
0: keep himself measured. Oh, of course, of course. No, no, no. He's he. The elder Marindorf is a pretty good father, all things considered. He knows, like, he knows his daughter well enough to know that, like, 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 the elder Marindorf is the kind of guy who knows that, like, this was going to be inevitable. But I think that elder Marindorf also knew that whenever it did happen, it was going to be messy. And so he's trying to be as like <laughs> you know, gloves on about this as possible. Just like, well, let's have breakfast. Yep, totally normal. Nothing weird going on. Until the attendant shows up. Uh, and so it's like, "Who's um, oh, it was the Kaiser! The Kaiser's at the door. Help. And Hilda
1: is like, I'm going to my Look, room. I can't. I can't. Right.
0: I absolutely cannot see. It's the most flaps we've seen Hilda this whole show, I would say. Yes. It's like She's like, I cannot see Reinhardt right now. And, like, Daddy Mariendorf is like, give me a minute. <laughs> Goes over there, finds... Thankfully, you know, I love I love when they give us a, series, a trio of episodes where it's going to be really easy to pick the head yes. image for this podcast because I just get to pick fucking shoujo, like Otome blushing game Reinhard, with, Reinhard. <laughs> with the fucking bouquet of roses. <laughs> we have Reinhard practically sparkling, yes. blushing ear to ear, <laughs> holding the biggest, like, if you thought, like, if you thought, like, if you thought Mittermeier's bouquet of flowers was ridiculous, or wait, Wait, did he? How did he go again? Did did Mittermeier just like buy out a whole flower <laughs> shop or something? I'm trying to. I'm, I, like, I'm trying to he remember how in,
1: Mittermeier he ran did. Ran into it. the flower shop and was like, "Give me all the flowers," and then everyone was loud, started laughing at him, and he's like, "Okay, no, yeah, no, no, no. yeah, 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 just give me, give me the good ones, give me the good ones, give, <laughs> me, the good work, ones, work, give me the good
0: ones." again? Yes, yes, okay, yes. That's how it went. Yeah, but uh, <laughs> right, Reinhardt was like.
1: Oh, Mittermeier, Mittermeier, two episodes ago, Mittermeier told me he brought a lot of flowers.
0: It's like, Reinhardt's only, like, <laughs> it's like, it's like, Reinhardt's only context for how to propose to a woman is fucking Mittermeier. Like,
1: That's why, Steinmetz is ask dead. Ask the rest of
0: his, the rest of yeah, like, like Steinmetz is dead, Roenthal is dead, like, all of his more measured admirals are, like, far away right now. Like, He's not gonna ask Oberstein. So like <laughs> Ask Roenthal, like, detain detainer like- in your house for a while. Yes, yes. Oh boys. Well that would be a good topic, yes, is uh love advice from the Empire Admirals, yes. Like <laughs> would definitely be like detain her in your house and then like fuck her for a week straight. <laughs> uh yes, Miller is like buy a flower shop. Yeah. <sighs> uh, what, what would what would uh what would uh what's his day? What would Mecklingers be like compose a slate. compose it. a sick? Poem. Lyle, teach you about yes. <laughs> 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 what
1: would Bittenfield oh, what oh, do? Bittenfield, what's Bittenfield's love advice?
0: know, uh, Bittenfield's would be terrible, but also maybe cut like I try to imagine like Bit like I think I think Bittenfield's proposal would probably be okay, so you remember in Gundam the Origin when uh Dazla Zabi uh proposes <laughs> to his wife? I think that's how Binfield would do it. Binfield would like tower over this poor woman. He would be like, he would be a little nervous at first, you know. He'd be like playing with his figures. He'd be like, you know, I, uh, I have a very, uh, I have a very accomplished military career, you know. Um, I've never lost a fight. Yes, you have Binfield. I've never lost a fight. Um, you know, I, I killed Butch. Like there, um, Bittenfield Junior. Yes, and then he would basically just do the double commandant. And be like, I Bittenfield. I'm asking, would you bear my children? <laughs> he, would, he would. He would. He would. And uh, that poor lady. Um, man, I feel like I feel like I, we could come up with so many more. But for now, I just have to say, you know, I didn't think anyone could beat Young for most awkward proposal right. in in this show. But uh, somehow Reinhardt beats him because uh, he doesn't even propose to Hilda herself. He proposes to Hilda's dad, which, you know, is maybe how they do things in the Empire. Right. He's this like... Is, this he's is, like, uh, is also Reinhardt,
1: like, reverting from God Emperor Kaiser of the galaxy to, like, kid
0: child reinhardt <laughs> doesn't know what he's right. doing like this is th- this is the reminder that like we're not going to say that like reinhardt is emotionally stunted but like he has really not grown as a person since like like, like as a person like I, I, as the human being he is around people like kirky as an aneros the growth of that side of reinhardt came right. to a like, close when reinhardt died and Anaros cut herself like- from him like, the Kaiser
1: of the Empire, considering the history of the Empire, having the Kaiser of the Empire be like, oh no, I slept with a girl, I, I need to take responsibility.
0: Right, is like the most fucking, like, like, of course you would, because like this is like, reverted back to like- Five like, years ago, five years history. ago, the Kaiser had concubines! Right, right, like, this is like, like this is Reinhardt, like, a combination of like, his like, young naivete, but also like, Yes, Reinhardt of all people would be the person primarily concerned about like how the Kaisers like, you know, to to quote uh, a certain translation, how the lewd Kaisers <laughs> of the past have um, have ruined the lives of women. Of course, Reinhardt of all people would be like, I would never want I would never do that to a woman. Not after what they did to my sister. Like, I'll I'll I'll, I'll marry Hilda immediately. Uh-huh. <laughs> and. Elder Merendorf is like try not to fucking lose it here, like you know, you try like, not to laugh in the face of the Kaiser. Feel
1: the incredibly deep breath before every sentence coming out of yes, yes. Papa Merendorf here. So he's like, look, yes, but uh, yes, my the elder, leave leave it to me for now. I'll deal with Elder.
0: Yeah, yeah, he's like. You know, he's like he's she's trying to he's trying to let Reinhardt down easy. He's mm-hmm. like Hilda is very happy, but she needs some time alone. And I promise you, when she's feeling better, I'll send her back to the palace, okay? Like just go away for now. <laughs> like basically just don't be here. Like you're you are not you should not be here, basically. Like Like, remember what I said at the very beginning of this is, like, when often when, like, two people who, like, do like each other but have a complicated relationship finally get together, they often need a couple days to, like, pull you know, like, rationalize things for themselves. The the problem then is that when one of the people in that relationship has that kind of, like, alpha-type personality who, like, cannot stand the idea of, like, stewing in a feeling for a couple Mm -hmm. days. So... Like, their immediate instinct is to show just, up at the door. like, <laughs> show up as soon as possible when that is, like, actually the worst right. possible thing you could do. <laughs> but, uh yeah, so Hilda comes out of her room after Reinhard leaves and um kind of has a conversation with uh, her dad, you know, and, like, you know, the elder Meriendorf is like, I mean, you like him, don't you? And she's like, yeah, but I don't deserve it's to. It's not that kind of I, relationship. It, it's not worthy- <laughs>
1: like it's really right right.
0: yeah or or so she says right she's like oh like i'm I'm not worthy of him and like it's not right and like think about her connections like think about like what this would do to the government and it's like these are all like i mean some of this is like Hilda trying to rationalize but i think some of these are also very valid concerns like but like they've never they've never
1: between the two of them she's never been in a position where as she puts it like she could have love for him as the love between a man and a woman because she's always been his subordinate, you know, like whether she likes him right or like, not, a, is secondary to their positions.
0: Yeah, like this is a very complex relationship with an undeniable, undeniable power dynamic, you know, like. Of course, every relationship is going to have a power dynamic in some to some degree, mm-hmm. right? Just because people are people, right? People come from different backgrounds and different occupations. But, like, there's a reason why, like, for example, HR says, like, don't date your boss or, or your subordinates, right. right? Like, don't date your teacher. Yeah. Like, don't, you know, like, don't date your coach. Like, there's a reason why, like, you know, these... Unwritten rules. <laughs> it's not law. These unwritten rules exist is because they undeniably change things, and they don't just change things between those two. They change things in the entire dynamic, like you know. Again, the elder Marindor was like, "Look, like just take a couple days to think about it, okay?" And like then he, uh, he kind, of, he kind of like thinks to himself, like, "Man, I'm probably gonna lose my yeah, job soon. I better get to work." Like, yeah, like, and also kind of has a fun bit here where he's like, "Man." I'm surprised Hilda and Reinhard even knew how to do it. <laughs> right, I mean, <laughs> like
1: compared you know, Reinart to uh, the, as they put it here, the Northern Comet King, which I looked up and it's apparently Charles the Twelfth of Sweden, which is who I don't know anything about.
0: Huh. But, uh, I, off the top I, of my yeah, head, I'm afraid I did I not look the, that up beforehand. Uh,
1: famous for abstaining from alcohol and sex and being most comfortable during warfare.
0: Ah, it kind of reminds yes. me of a certain fellow. <laughs> but, uh, well, maybe not the alcohol. Reinhardt certainly yes. loves the alcohol. But uh, I guess
1: uh, I'd uh, like this line from uh, Papa Mariendorf where he's like, well, <clears throat> uh, rulers who are incredibly well-versed in warfare tend to be deficient in the other direction, in another area. And uh, <laughs> at least Reinhardt uh. is not abnormal in the other direction.
0: Of being a crazy horn dog and Terrible at War, yes, 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 it's very good. <laughs> but uh, yes, I just, I just can't help but kind of laugh at yes, the Elder Marindor's musing of like, those two are like the most fucking like, like extremely capable individuals, but when it comes to like sex and relationships, are probably like the two most awkward human beings on the planet, like. Yeah, Like, here's the thing, I'm not one to, like, make guesses about what Yang's uh, married life was like, happy. but, you know, we they seemed happy, and also Yang was shown to have an interest in women beforehand, right, like, with Jessica Edwards. They had a so, more like, natural relationship, make- just,
1: even right. though she was an assistant and, look, and subordinate, like, they
0: had, they had a more natural relationship. They had a dynamic. <laughs> right they they had a dynamic well the thing is they had a pre-existing like dynamic that went beyond just like their work relationship right like they got along as genuine like friends and so like when they get married i mean also it doesn't change the power structure that much like yang and frederica get married and everybody's reaction is just like finally right or well it's either finally or wow frederica really fucked up huh Which is like also they also they retired. Yes, so. yes, but it's just it's more like it. It was a much more natural relation. My point, but my point is saying uh, is like I do not need to see like I do not need to see Yang thrusting his dick on screen <laughs> to assume that he knows how to know. fuck. I am just I saying know. Yang probably knows how to fuck. Reinhard and Reinhardt Hilda needs Kirk guys. To show I almost him. don't want to even. Uh, right, like I don't like. I don't want to like get. Too fucking like gross here, but I'm always trying to imagine that, like, while the deed is being done, Reinhard is probably like clutching Kirkias's amulet in one hand. Uh, like,
1: he was, he was. Like,
0: Kirk, like, 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 you know, it's a kind of like Jesus take the wheel moment. <laughs> like, Kirkias, guide my dick. Uh huh. Nope. And so, with oh, nope. that, um, we, uh, Reinhardt. In we, uh, office, uh, wondering about it. Right, and yes, and he is informed by Kessler that the assassin uh, has committed mm-hmm. suicide. And uh, in many ways, this is probably the ideal scenario. They, they do go uh, through
1: how uh, Reinhard's like, "You by suicide, you don't mean that you just killed him, right? And they, they kind of go into yes. how, no, they didn't kill him, but they didn't stop him from committing suicide at all. And... Uh, Right, yes, do? this
0: idea of being, yes, the idea of being that, like, you know, in many ways, like Westerland, uh, inaction was more politically mm-hmm. expedient, and, uh, you know, like, for better or worse, I think this released, I mean, I'm not saying that this was a bad thing, but what I am saying is that this very much speaks to, like, you know, that, that trope of, like, who you are in mm-hmm. the dark, right? Like, who you are when you're alone, like, for better or worse, for all the moralizing the Empire does, this is who they are, right? Yeah. Like, they'll make the hard choices when they have to, but if a politically expedient, easy choice presents itself, they'll take it, like, regardless of, like, whatever, like, collateral damage it does. And, uh, you know, kind of with that, that kind of concludes the end of episode 89. Yeah. And uh, with that, this uh, trio of episodes... Comes to a close. Uh, how you feeling about uh, how you feeling about the start of season four? Um, yeah, I'm into it. I
1: want to see like where we go from here. Um, obviously, I guess like I assume the next episode or two at the of the Empire side will be like about Hilda and like political restructuring. Uh, considering that and how that'll turn out, but also what's the incident in New Kimha
0: Park? I want to know. That's
1: probably we still, gonna involve we still do not somehow. know.
0: Yes, yes, we still are not aware of those events, and uh, you know, if if nothing else, season four has done a pretty good job of, as always, setting up some good, right. compelling plot threads. Like for how us to how can you know, we, we have
1: con- considering that the main situation right now is Reinhard Reinthal stuff? How
0: can we drag the Esalen crowd into this? Right, like. What is Ezerlohn's next course of action? Where does Reinhardt and Hilda's relationship go? What happened at the park? And uh, you know some of the stuff they said from last season, right? Like, what is uh you know what is Lang and Rubinsky up to? Right. You now we uh, we haven't seen them in season four yet, but we know they are planning things. And related to that, what about Oberstein? Yeah. And, uh, and and I think even more importantly, uh, what's no. Becklinger doing? <laughs> give us more mecklinger damn it i fucking i'm fucking Brother angry man, man like, general mecklinger we have we, we are we have been promised mecklinger time and time again this motherfucker still will not show up the show denies us our our rifle uh, fucking fix of uh, mecklinger junior. and uh i don't know how much longer i'll tolerate this <laughs> but uh yeah i think that's gonna call this one a podcast so um Let's do the basic housekeeping as always. Uh, you can you know catch this podcast and the rest of our content on theglorioblog.com. You can follow us on Twitter at TheGlorioBlog. You can listen to this podcast on Spotify, Google Play, Podbean, uh, wherever else podcasts are are stored. Uh, you can also uh, we also upload these podcasts to YouTube. so you know check that out that's kind of more your speed. Uh, you know, if you have the time and the interest, you can maybe check out our sister podcasts. You know, the Glorio Chat, where uh, we just finished uh, talking about our our preview of the upcoming season. Mm-hmm. You know, kind of what are the what are the highlights, the lowlights. You know, what are our expectations are for the fall, including.
1: The uh, something called Legend of the Galactic Heroes. Yeah, yeah, DNT
0: is airing. Season two of DNT is airing soon. And uh, I think inevitably we're going to watch that because that's who we are now. Yeah. Um, It's going to be a really interesting returning to Amlitzer, you know. Uh, because now that we've watched the show, like, or the OVA, like, the context of so many things, even if they're relatively similar, are so different in the, like, beat-to-beat moments that, like, I'm really actually kind of curious how certain things will play out, you know. Like we can we can talk about it here because we don't need to worry about spoilers. But like, how is Kirkyas going to die in DNT? Right. We'll, we'll get the bazooka and the corpse. Right. Like, like something that dramatic just does not feel like DNT style because DNT is so much more like the nice word is grounded The maybe meaner word is boring in its execution. Like, like I just don't see them doing stuff with that same level of absurd theatrics. But uh, you know, I think I think we'll we'll have to see. Um, I also want to point out once again, I don't like Bogdashu's new design. I actually, it does don't not recall it, so
1: I need to see. All it. right,
0: I you'll have to check that PV again. He's like,
1: you. I think Iro. I mean, you said, you said he doesn't look like Bogdashu at all. So I probably like didn't even register that it was him. Like
0: Iro, I think you summed it up best as what <laughs> <should> <laughs> He look needs like. to look
1: like a used car salesman.
0: Yes, like, like- or it's not right. Okay, you know what? I will say this. Now that you've said that out loud, the Bogdashu in DNT does kind of look like a used car salesman, but he looks like a way shittier, less self-aware oh, sure. one. Like like the used car salesman Bogdashu of the original OVA looks like a guy who knows he's <laughs> shady and like leans into it. Whereas like the Bogdashu in DNT just looks shady because like that's just who that guy right. is and like he he he's still convinced he's a normal person and that he's convinced everybody he's a normal person but he is not actually a normal person but uh, we'll have to save that for our inevitable dnt corner hey, of uh, this podcast uh, yeah. once that starts airing yes we're we're going to reach out both uh, the OVA we're and the episodes D&T the same podcast time. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I think that'll oh also uh the other sister podcast, um Glorio's King of the Kaiju, where uh our uh, our Glorio British correspondents uh, talk episode. about kaiju movies. That's I think I knew one of those about Space Amoeba uh, just came out. Space Amoeba, yes. Definitely uh, something I've never heard of this movie before, but certainly got a vibe to it. But uh but I mean, yeah, okay, with all that said and done, I think uh I think that'll do it. So as always you know, to everybody listening, welcome back, and thank you all for staying with us. I hope you'll, uh, I hope you'll stick with us to the to the bitter end. And Ero, uh, as always, thank you for accompanying me. Thank you. And until next time, we will see you amongst the sea of stars.